So if you turn your Bibles to James chapter 2, it took us four weeks, but we made it through chapter 1, all right, of James, the book of James, so we are in chapter 2. So here's what I want to do. So far, we've talked about um, trials, we've talked about temptation, we've talked about being a doer, not just a hearer of God's Word. Um, last week, I told you that the rest of the, the book is kind of going to give us an idea of what it means and what it looks like to be a doer of the Word. So last week, we talked about um, doing what God's Word tells us to do, and I, I told you that in the next few weeks, you're going to hear about what that looks like, and you kind of heard a glimpse of that at the very end of last week, but I want to preface today's message with this. I don't want you to hear this message and think this is for somebody else, okay? I want you to hear this message and think this is for you. I was guilty of this as I read through this passage myself this week, verses 1 through 13 of James chapter 2. I thought, well, here's some people, maybe I can think of these people that need to hear this. Man, I hope this, and I hope they maybe listen to this and all that. But then as the more I started digging into this, God was like, no, this is one you definitely need to hear yourself. Because there's all a tendency, I think, at times for us to look at people a different way. Today we're going to talk about the sin of partiality. Um, some of your translations may say favoritism. It's the idea of looking at people differently because they may look different or they may not be necessarily how you would want them to look. It's really the idea of you judge people before you even know who the person is. And so last week, James just briefly mentioned two groups of people here in, in verse 27. Last week in verse 28, he mentions two groups of people that we really didn't spend a whole lot of time on because I knew it was important for us to understand it as we look into this week. He talks about widows and he talks about orphans. Now, widows, biblically, were those um, ladies who couldn't take care of themselves because they didn't have family around. Biblically, if there was family within that could take care of the widow, they were responsible to take care of them. But if there was no one else to take care of the widow, the church, it was their responsibility to take care of that lady. So James gives us the example of how do we take care of our widows and how do we take care of our orphans. Basically, this: how do you take care of people who therefore can't return anything back financially to you? How do you take care of people, in the case of a widow, who has no one else to take care of her? How do you take care of orphans when, in their situation, they have no one else who's going to take care of them? So the question right off before we even look into chapter 2 would be that. How are you personally taking care of widows, and how are you personally taking care of orphans? Now, I know that this is a passage where you can read and like, well, James is just using some illustration here or some example. No, what he's really wanting you to get at the heart of start thinking is, how do you take care of people? And specifically, how do you take care of people who may have nothing else to offer you back? What are you currently doing to take care of widows and to take care of orphans? That was our scripture reading. Taking care of the least of these. How do you take care of those people? In Matthew 25, 40, as Ashley read for us, it said, The king answered them, says, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of my brothers, you did it to me. This is why it's so important for us to grasp the idea of taking care of people, of helping other people, of using our resources to take care of other people. Because the way we treat them, as we're going to talk about in just a little bit, is going to be directly related to how we actually view Jesus. How I view those people is really ultimately how I view Jesus. And here's what James is really trying to get at, and ultimately what Jesus is trying to get at. He wants every person's heart to be changed to where they look at a certain group of people, they see those people the way Jesus sees those people. They treat people the way Jesus 
treats people and treated people specifically in the New Testament. He wants us to have his eyes, his heart, his mind, his hands, and his feet when it comes to all people, to every single group of people. So I don't think what James is wanting any of us to do is go, well, I'm going to take care of that person just because I feel like it's something I'm supposed to do. What James is really trying to get at here is that he wants our hearts to be so changed that we therefore look at people and go, man, I've got to do something. I'm compelled by the gospel. I'm compelled by my love for Jesus to go and help all people and to serve those people. That's what he wants for us. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Everything that you or I do flows from our hearts. The words that come out of our mouth, the actions that we carry out, the things that we do, they flow from our hearts. Timothy Keller said this, he says, a merely religious person who believes God will favor him because of his morality and respectability will ordinarily have contempt for the outcasts. I worked hard to get where I am. So can anyone else. That is the language of the moralist heart. I am only where I am by the sure and unmerited mercy of God. I am completely equal with all other people. That is the language of the Christian's heart. A sensitive social conscience and a life poured out in deeds of mercy to the needy is the inevitable sign of a person who has grasped the doctrine of God's grace. Basically, let me just summarize that for you. The way that you treat people is going to be uh, an example of what Christ has already actually done in your heart. And this is going to be dealt with more next week as Pastor Tim is going to tell us about our works and our deeds and our faith and our works and how those balance each other out. But this is a glimpse of what James is going to talk about in the next few weeks, of how you treat people ultimately is how you believe about Jesus or what you believe about Jesus. So we're going to look in James chapter 2, verse 1 through 13. And I want you to be ready for some of the stuff that he's going to say and some of the stuff that we're going to talk about. And I want you to have an open heart and an open mind to what James is going to be teaching us this morning about how we view people. Um, and specifically what he's going to be talking about here is the church, how the church is going to view people. And he's going to give us a, a good example here. James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. We're just going to read it and then we'll go um, and break it up into parts as we go after we read it here. Starting in verse 1, he says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith and our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a man in poor shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing, and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor, and not the rich ones who oppress, are not the rich ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. It sounds familiar, right? It says, you are doing well if you do that. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. I know we're going to get just a little bit of that, but as I read that, have you ever thought my initial reaction of viewing people could be sin? 
the initial way that I look at someone because of something is sin to God. Because what have I done? I've already in my mind judged that person and had an opinion about that person without actually even knowing anything about that person. You are sinning before God. Verse 10, it says, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, Do not commit adultery, also said, Do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. I read that this week. That was a good one. Because I read that and I'm thinking to, my, to myself, God, would you speak to my heart first? Because I will confess to you I have been guilty of this very thing that we're going to talk about. That I have looked at someone, I have looked maybe at a group of people, and not known anything about those people or anything about that person, and I've already made a judgment in my mind about who they are. That's sin. That's sin. And I want you to think of it in this way. When you come to church, who do you spend most of your time with? Most of us, we flock to people who are like us, right? It was what James is kind of saying here. We go to the people that we are most comfortable with and the people that we know the most about and the people who are most like us. And what, what is James saying? He's like, I want you to look at, at people that you are a part of the body of Christ with, that you are a part of the church with, and I want you to look at each and every single person, and I want you to look at all of them the same. I want you to love every single person. I want no person to come into the assembly and feel like I didn't talk to someone today. I want every single person to come into the assembly and feel like they have equal value, not only before God, because they do, but they are equally valued by the church. And that every single person that walks in these doors should feel that way. Now, I want to encourage you guys as a church because I think you do an awesome job of this. I think you do an awesome job of making people feel welcome, but the moment we get to the point where we feel like we've got it fully down pat, we still have a lot to learn. None of us are perfect in these situations. I even find myself doing this as well. I have people that you may feel more comfortable with, and I go and talk to those people and spend most of my time with those people. And James is saying here, I want you to spend time with everybody as much as possible. Now, I know that not every single one of you is going to get to talk to every single person that's here in this church. But one thing that you may want to do is, is maybe, it may be too late this week. We've already done a lot of of service here, maybe after service you could. Make it like a point next week. I'm going to talk to people that I don't necessarily know that well. I'm going to go and I'm going to make it my goal as I know there are people that, that I go to church with that I don't know that well. I'm going to go and talk to those people. I'm going to spend more time with those people. Right? And that will help us start to get the idea of am I actually showing partiality? Am I showing favoritism to people? And so that's what God is, is wanting us to ask ourselves. Are you partial to people. Do you have favorites within the body of Christ? That's a tough question to answer, isn't it? Because I think if we were honest with ourselves, we'd probably all confess, you know what? I have favorites. I have favorites within the body of Christ. 
And James says that shouldn't be the case. He says, show no partiality in verses 1 through 3. And specifically, the example here that James gives us is like there's two groups of people that walk into your church. It's like you may have a, people, a, a, a couple, let's say, a couple that walks into your church that's pretty financially well off. And they come into your church, and what was happening here in this church is these people were going, hey, whoa, 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 they're pretty well off. Hey, you come over here. You come sit over here, right? So the way that their churches were set up, their synagogues were set up, was there were very few seats within this. Most of us would be sitting on the floor. And so what, what was happening in this church and what James is telling us is that they were taking the people who are really well off, the rich people, and giving them the prime seats. We only have a few seats. You take the seats. Now, what, what were they doing with the poor people? You stand up or you sit down on the floor. They said, sit at my feet. So what was this, what was this church doing? They were taking the rich and they were judging them based off an appearance. And they were giving them favoritism. They were giving them the prime seats. But they were taking the poor people and they were saying, listen, you're, you're a lower class. You're lesser than, than the rich people. I want you to stand up or I want you to sit down. And James says that is sin before God. For you to have the attitude of you judge people based off your appearance or their financial stability is sin before God and he hates it. It's not something that he wants to be within the church. Now, what he isn't saying is that it's wrong to be rich, or he isn't saying that it's wrong to be poor. What he is saying, it's wrong for us to judge people based off of those things. And it has no business being within the church. There are other ways in which we could do this. There's just an example that, that James had given us. We'd, we could judge people based off our gender. And the church still does this when it comes to gender, is that women aren't capable of doing certain things just for the very sake that they are a woman. That is false. We judge based off of gender. We may judge based off of race. We already have a preconceived notion in our head based off of race. We definitely will do this sometimes with sexuality. Age, citizenship, legal or illegal. We've already got some sort of thing made up in our mind. Political views. Someone disagrees with me. They voted differently. So I already have an opinion about that person. We judge people based off their past. Well, I know what that person's done. And I may not actually even know that person. I've heard secondhand about something that they've done. Or their financial status is the example that James gives us here. The church should be an example of what it looks like to love and serve all people, regardless of any of the above-mentioned things. We, as the church, should be the standard of what it looks like to be a group of people that love no matter what. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what gender you are. It doesn't matter what race you are. It doesn't matter what your sexuality is. It doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter who you voted for or who you're going to vote for for president. It doesn't matter your political views about certain things. Those things don't matter. I'm called to love you. Now, you may be thinking, well, doesn't the Bible give us standards about how we're supposed to live? Yes, it does. But we can still do both of these things without compromising the standards and beliefs that God has given us to uphold. It is possible. But sometimes we can't even get to the point of loving people because we have this almighty standard that we feel like we're supposed to be the ones upholding, and we knock people down and don't even give them a chance to hear about the standard that God has for their lives. 
We may not even give them an opportunity to hear about Jesus because they've come into a place that already feels like you don't belong here because you are different than me. Man, have we done that to people before. The church should be a place that is known as a welcoming, loving place. We should not be a place that is known for what we stand against. And I think that's something that's winning in our world because we are so vocal and so loud about certain things. But yet we are so quiet about other things. So what is James saying you're supposed to do? Love people. But what about love people? He's calling you to love people. And, and some of us, we're losing the battle when it comes to loving people because we've already lost when it comes to our social media accounts. We're losing because we're posting stuff that just quite honestly does not matter to God. It matters to you, but it may not necessarily matter to God. And we viewed these things based off of how we think God would want us to view these things, and actually God's already told us how he wants us to view these things. I want you to love people. We've got our minds made up about certain people before we've even gotten to know those people. Oh, man, and just wait till we actually get to know some of those people. We'll definitely have our minds made up then. Even when we get to know certain people, we're still called to love those people, right? To love all people equally before God. Acts chapter 10, verse 34 so Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. God, the creator of the universe, who knows every single thing about you, every single thing you've ever done, every single thing that you're going to do, doesn't love you any less than he loves me. He doesn't love you any more than he loves me. He loves all of us. And Peter preaches before these people and he says, Listen guys, God shows no partiality. God doesn't look at people because you're Jewish different or you're a Samaritan different. God doesn't look at those people differently because you're a Gentile. God loves you all the same and he looks at you all the same. And he wants all of you to have equal opportunity to hear about his love and respond to his love. Your view of others is directly related to your view of Jesus. Your view of others is directly related to your view of Jesus. And so here's why this is so important. The way that you view all of those people that we've mentioned is ultimately a heart matter of how you actually view Jesus. It is impossible for you to go, I don't want anything to do with that group of people, and confess that you love Jesus. I, I strongly disagree with those people. It doesn't matter. You're called to love those people, and at every opportunity you get to show love to those people, to serve those people, to reach out to those people. We, we're doing a lot of what it's God's job to do, of judge. And that's going to be our last point, so let's not hurry up and get there. We are called to show mercy and love to people. 1 Corinthians 1, 6, 26 through 29. And Pastor Tim stole my notes, read this in Sunday school this morning. It's always just funny how sometimes we just line up with some of these things. It means just God's trying to teach us something. For consider your calling, brothers, to you, all of you. Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. 
God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. What what does Paul say there? You guys know what you are without God? Every one of us are equal before God because we are created by God and we can do absolutely nothing without God. So we, as, as Christians, we need to start, stop walking around with our chests all puffed and bowed out like, I'm better than you because I love Jesus. I'm better than you because I go to church. I'm better than you because of all these things. And what Paul says is you need to remember who you are without Christ. You need to remember what you can do without Christ. And when you start to remember who you are without Christ, when you start to remember what you can do without Christ, you'll be like, listen, I'm spiritually bankrupt without Jesus. So it is absolute sin for me to think that I am better than anyone else. Absolute sin for me to think that I am better than anyone else. And this is one of the things that's so beautiful about the church, because the church, when you think of it in the world's eyes, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Because what does Jesus tell us? It's a group of people that are imperfect, that are weak, who aren't that wise, and they come together, and they're a worldwide movement of taking the gospel to the very ends of the earth. Like if you were starting a business, this isn't the way you would start one. But this is exactly the way that Jesus chose to do it. And why does he say he chose to do it this way? So that no one can boast. So that no one can walk around and think they're better than anybody else so that he gets all the glory for it. And so that people look at me and they go, man, it's a whole Jesus, because there's no way he could do that. In verse 4 of James 2, he uses the word distinctions. Maybe a better translation for distinctions is discrimination. Discrimination. David Platt says this, he says, Consider the starting point in the gospel for so many of the social issue." Issues we have addressed. The creation of man and woman in the image of God with equal dignity before God. As we've seen, this means that no human being is more or less human than another. From the first chapter of the Bible, however, this much is clear. All men and women are made in the very likeness of God. Every single one of them are made in the very likeness of God. So if that means that every single person is made in the very likeness of God, that means God loves all those people equally, and it so means that we are called to love those people equally. Every single person is created in the image of God, and I'm called to love those people. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13 through 14, Paul states it like this. He says, But now in Christ Jesus you, have, you once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and broken down in the flesh, dividing the wall of hostility. And specifically what he's talking about, dividing the wall of hostility between Gentile and Jew. He's broken that wall down and and, and confessing to everyone that you're all equal. You all have equal opportunity and rights to hear about Jesus. Our view of people has to come directly through Christ. Now, it was a thought that I had this week that I'd listened to a Tony Evans sermon. Anybody ever listen to Tony Evans? And he, and he put it beautifully like this. He said, one of the issues that we have in our world today is that we are American Christians, or we are white Christians, or we are black 
Christians? Are we our Republican Christians? Are we our Democrat Christians? And so what does that mean when we phrase it like that? The way I view people, and not only people, the way I view Christianity is based off of being an American or based off of being white or black or based off of being a Democrat or a Republican. And if that's our view of things, that's sin and it's completely wrong before God. How are you to view things? You are to view things as a Christian. It doesn't matter if you're white or if you're black, Republican, Democrat, American, or not. None of those things matter. What matters is that you are a believer in Christ, and you've been called to view things the way Christ views things. And the way Christ views things is he loves all people, and he wants all people, and desires all people. And anything less for us I think it's sin before God, if that's not exactly what we desire as well. So what was the holdup for this church? Their holdup was a desire to be accepted can make us partial. What, why were they showing partiality? Is because they wanted to be accepted. And what did James tell them? He's like, listen, you guys are wanting to be accepted by the very people that are killing you. You're treating these people that come into your church and you're treating them like this in a certain way. You're showing them favoritism. And James is like, guess what? Who's the ones trying to kill you? Who's the very people doing these things? Why? Because what did the church want above following Christ? They wanted to be accepted. They wanted these people to like them. They wanted the world to like them. So they were torn. It's like, well, we want, we want to really follow the world. We want the world to like us, but we also know that there's something that God's called us to do. How do we have a balance within that? There is no balance. There is no balance. This is what James tells them. You're to love all people. You're to love the rich people that come in. You're to love the poor people that come in. You're to love all people the same. That's the balance. Is I love Jesus and I will view people the way Jesus has told me to view them. A desire to be accepted is what can make us partial. Next it says, mature believers do not think they are better than anyone else. Now, I use the, the phrase mature because that's something we talked a lot about through James chapter 1 is the idea of being mature before Christ. Mature believers do not think they are better than anyone else. So how do I know that I have a proper view of God? How do I know that I have a proper view of Jesus? How do I don't know that I have a proper view of the church and the world around me. You have a proper view of all those things if you think to yourself, I'm not better than anybody else. But the moment we start to think, well, I'm better than this person, I'm better than this person, right? Have we ever done that? That's why I mentioned at the very beginning, this sermon is for you. Because this is, this is a prime example of you may be that person, right? Man, I wish so-and-so was here to hear that. Man, that, that, that message was really for that person that I'm sitting beside. Man, I hope that person heard it. That's a picture of we have a messed up view in our minds. I don't think that I'm better than anyone else. Here's what I think. I hear it. Whew. That was tough to hear. I needed that. That's when we know, I think, that we are in a right standing with God and we are on the path of maturity. Because this is what he tells them in verse 8 through 11. Because they had this idea in their mind that, well, I've never killed anybody. I've never stole from anybody. 
I've never slept with another man's wife. I've never done any of that stuff. And James reminds them, well, but you have done this. And because you have done this, you're guilty of the whole law. You're guilty of all of it. You're a sinner. And guess what that does if you're a sinner? It puts you on the same equal path with all other sinners. And what's that path? Separation from God. An eternal separation from God. That's the path. And if you realize that I'm, I'm not better than anyone else, you realize that just as much as the fact that I needed Jesus and I need Jesus on a daily basis, so does my neighbor. So James uses the phrase here, love your neighbor. Who's your neighbor? Everybody. I know we think we, we, of our neighbors, we think of the person who lives right beside us. Yep, that's also your neighbor. But I think that may be a good place to start. Do I love that neighbor? Do I love the community in which I live in? Do I love our schools? Do I love these people? Do I love the state that I live in, these people? Do I love the nation that I live in? Do I love the nation that hates our nation? Do I love those people? That's what he's talking about when he says, love your neighbor. So where are those words from? Matthew 22, 34 through 40. It says, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together as one of them. A lawyer asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. This is Jesus speaking here. He says, The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Jesus says, I've summarized this whole law into this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. and Love your neighbor as yourself. I think the first one, a lot of times for me, is a lot easier. It's easy to love God, isn't it? He's done so much for us, right? There's so many reasons to love God. But it's that love in our neighbor that's a little harder to do. And James is telling us this, is that if I love God the way I'm supposed to, if I have a right relationship and walk with God, I can't help but love my neighbor. I just can't do it. But here's one thing you're not going to be able to do. You are not going to be able to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and have this idea in your mind that you can segregate a group of people because of what they've done or how they view things or what they believe. You cannot love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and still have that attitude towards a certain group of people. Now, 1 John, if you read through 1 John, it takes a little bit further than that. He says, don't, don't come to me and say, I love God but hate my brother. Don't come to me and say, I love God, but I don't want anything to do with this group of people. He says, you're a liar. There's no way the love of God can be in you and you still have so much contempt or hate towards people or have this mind in your heart, in your heart and mind that I can show partiality to a group of people. And don't dare come before God and stand before him and go, well, God, you have no idea what those people have done to me. You have no idea what they've said. Aren't you supposed to be the holy, perfect God that you've got these glorious standards? Don't you know what they've done? 
I think what, what God would remind us of is, don't you know what you've done? Don't you remember what your life was like before me? You didn't rescue yourself. You didn't save yourself. Romans 3 says no one is good. No, not one. Jesus would look at us, I think, and say, I did all of that. So why don't you get off your high horse and stop thinking that you're better than somebody else when you aren't? And go out and do what I've called you to do, which is love people. That's where we really, really need to get at here, that I need to love people. The last thing he tells us is that mercy triumphs over judgment. Man, I love that phrase. Mercy should triumph in our life over judgment, which means this. If I'm so busy showing love to people, and if I'm so busy showing mercy to people, I don't have time to do what? Judge people. I don't have time to cast judgment upon people because I'm too busy loving and serving people. I'm too busy showing mercy to people and showing grace to people, but I don't have time to judge anybody because I've chose to be merciful to people. This is a part of what he talks about at the end of chapter 1, of being a doer of God's word. The first example that he's going to mention to us, and he mentioned today, is if I'm a doer of God's word, is directly related to how I view people. So the question before you is this, how do you view people? I know on the back of your handout there's some questions for you, and I think one of the questions is going to even ask you, is there a certain group of people that you have a hard time loving? Maybe you need to spend some time this week asking God to change your heart when it comes to, to people. Spend some time asking him to change your heart. But I want to ask you that question. How do you view, view people? Are you loving your neighbor as yourself? Are you serving people? Are you prejudiced towards certain people? Do you discriminate towards certain people? Do you already have your mind made up about certain people before you even get to know those people? If you are, know that sin before God, and God doesn't want it to stay that way. Instead, God wants to change your heart to look more like his, to where you're so busy loving and serving and showing mercy to people that you have no time to judge anyone that's around you.